Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. I think we need to begin, at least that's all I'm trying to do in this book, is begin the conversation of the same way we've thought about the Sudan with missionaries, we're gonna have to start thinking about places like Canada, California, and New York. Hey everybody, Michael Thiessen here, and you are listening to Open Mic with Michael Thiessen. This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. Many of you have been following us. You know a number of the legal cases that we're involved with and a number of the initiatives that we take in Canada in order to help Christians uh, stand for Christ's justice. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. Have, head over to christianweek.org in order to see some curated news from around the world. So before we get started with the show today, I have two announcements to make. First of all, we are having two events in Ontario, Monday, October 23rd at Trinity Bible Chapel in Waterloo and Tuesday, October 24th at Trinity Baptist Church in Burlington. We are hosting two events back-to-back, -back, live recordings of our Liberty Coalition Canada podcast. We're likely going to shoot a Liberty Lounge that night and try to have all four of the guys, myself, Tim, Andrew, and Matt, along with some special guests, uh, live recording uh, and enjoying a live audience. So it's going to be $25 per person. Our goal is uh, with the with the fee of admission is just to cover our travel costs in order to run the events. And then of course, when we're there, we're going to be talking to you about the legal cases that we need support for. So that's event number one. The second event I want to make you aware of is our Spark Leadership Conference. This is happening in uh, South Carolina, October 31st through to November 1st. It's a two-day conference. Uh, at this conference, we're going to platform Canadian stories, uh, my story, uh, Dr. Joe Boot, Pastor Tim Stevens, Pastor Nate Wright, and of course, our lawyer, James Kitchen. We're all going to be there, and we are trying to spark the American church into flame as we testify about walking according to God's word in the context of the secular authoritarianism that you all and we all went through during COVID. So that's going to be a $50 charge for the two-day conference, and you can register at sparkconferences.org. So Canadians take the opportunity in November with the cold November rain to escape to South Carolina and join us for that. And my American friends, look at here what happens if you publicly do not reject the left wokeness and, and these satanic ideas that are taking over popular culture see what happens for yourself, and then choose to be moved and move towards action. So everybody, today I am interviewing Pastor Joel Webin. Uh, Joel is the president and founder of Right Response Ministries and the senior pastor of Covenant Bible Church located on the north side of Austin, Texas. So it's great that we're going to be discussing his new book. It's called Fight by Flight. Why Leaving Godless Places is Loving Godless Places. And of course, everybody, this is a hot topic because you know that um, myself, uh, the president of Liberty Coalition, just picked up and moved to Kentucky. 
and uh, we, we've moved for many reasons. And one, one of the reasons is specifically along the lines of the title of Joel's book. And so even as we were off, um, even if we were, as we we're off camera, Joel was saying, Hey, how do people feel about you leaving Canada? This is an ongoing on the ground discussion. That's important to everybody. It's important to Canadians, New Yorkers, Californians. I don't know how you say Minnesotans. Is that how you say it, Joel? Um, I don't but know. There, there's a lot Sounds of people, right. there's a lot of people asking this question. So Joel, welcome to the show. And I'm really glad we're going to be talking about something you've uh, explored extensively. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. So, Joel, why are you writing this book at this at this time in history? Yeah, um, because I think a lot of people need to move. Uh, that's why I'm writing it. And um, I think a lot of people need to move. Uh, at the end of the day, it's up to you, the Lord, and your conscience. Um, you can get counsel from the elders of your church. And I would say that if you're going to a solid biblical church, uh, you should get counsel. And you should prayerfully consider that counsel. Um, but it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's up to you, uh, the Lord and your conscience. Um, the passive of a church don't have the authority uh, to tell uh, a man that he cannot uh, leave the church uh, to move to another place where he can feed his kids, um, make sure that they don't have to go to Caesar for their education. And um, where he can provide with a single income so that his wife can be a keeper at home. Um, so anyways, my point is I'm writing it because I think a lot of people need to hear it. But the biggest thing is not just that a lot of people um, probably should move. Um, but what I'm getting at there is, with, you know, with the whole pastor thing is I think there's a lot of people that they need, um, they need their consciences unburdened. Um, they need to be told from the word of God that there is a legitimate biblical category for fleeing and that it's not sin. So it, th this whole topic started coming up for me about six years ago when it was ironically, I was listening to Ben Shapiro and he was talking about um, the expectation that within the United States, you're going to see mass migration because people get fed up in one state and just and, and and move to another state and that we're likely going to be seeing that. And of course that is a reality. And so when you say so clearly, I think a lot of people need to move. Why don't you start walking us through some of the argumentation you outlay, lay out in the book, um, both, both either practically or the biblical foundation that you're approaching this from. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's political strategy, but um, first and foremost, the lion's share of the book is dealing with just the clear commandments of God as it pertains to families, uh, particularly husbands and fathers. So first, I would just say that, um, well, I, I'll, I'll read a little bit uh, of a segment here. I, I talk about two types of sacrifice. Uh, the Bible speaks of two uh, primary types of sacrifice. Gospel sacrifice is what I'm calling one, and sinful sacrifice being the other. Gospel sacrifice involves a conscience, a conscious decision to forego our own uh, pleasure and comforts in order to advance God's mission here on earth. In contrast, sinful sacrifice involves a conscious or even subconscious decision to forego clear obedience to God's commandments in order to allegedly advance uh, God's mission here on earth. And so I kind of use uh, multiple passages, but one of the primary texts that I use is First uh, Samuel chapter 15, uh, where um, Samuel confronts King Saul and says, why, why didn't you obey the Lord? Um, you know, and he's like, oh, I did. I, you know, I, I went on, and he literally uses the word, depending what translation you have, I went on the mission that the Lord uh, assigned to me. And, um, and then Samuel's like, well, what, what is the, the bleeding of goats that I hear? You know, I, you didn't put everything to death. You, and, uh, well, we, we saved this, you know, the people, they did it, you know, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Um, and Samuel says, you know, that quintessential, you know, line that a lot of people probably remember from the scripture to, you know, that the Lord desires obedience more than sacrifice. And so then, you know, taking that as a premise, I, I talk about, you know, five clear commands of obedience as it pertains to families. And uh, the first four of those five commands have to deal with uh, four different generations. The fifth commandment, honor thy father and mother. Uh, so we have an obligation to uh, the generation above us, cross-referencing that with First Timothy 5. Uh, it is pleasing in the sight of God when children give some return to their parents. 
Um, and so particularly First Timothy 5 is dealing with widows, but I think that you can extrapolate further out uh, a general uh, principle of that it's good for children to be able to give adult children some return to their parents, even if both parents, father and mother, are alive, and that that honor uh, can and often does entail um, a physical uh, financial provision, that we don't just send our parents when they reach a certain age and a certain health uh, decline. Uh, we don't just send them to the proverbial glue factory. Uh, but that it's good and honoring if we can, and that we should strive towards this, that we could even have them move in with us or we move in with them. I think of Doug Wilson, you know, him and Nancy moving in with Jim Wilson, his dad, as he was dying for seven years. They gave up their house. Nancy, you know, was in, living in someone else's home, namely her father-in-law. And Jim Wilson, when he finally did uh, go to be with the Lord, he was surrounded with his uh, his son, his daughter-in-law. Uh, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren singing hymns, um, ushering him into the arms of Jesus. That's, uh, I think that that is a way to honor father and mother. And we don't do that in the West. We don't. We've just kind of given up on that. A lot of other cultures do. So all that being said, the point is there's a practical, financial, physical uh, implication to honoring father and mother. It, it might cost something. So for me, I was in San Diego, California. I couldn't even afford to buy a home myself much less afford to buy the kind of home that might have had like a, a granny flat or whatever you would call it, where we could bring mom and dad in later on. And mom and dad couldn't afford it. At least my mom and dad, um, they had grown up and spent their entire adult lives in one of the poorest counties of Texas as a pastor and teacher, respectively. My dad a pastor, my mother a teacher. Um, and there was no way that you uh, spend your adult working life in one of the poorest counties of Texas and then retire in San Diego, California, one of the most expensive cities um, in you know the continental United States of America. So that's just that was going to happen. So that's one that then our generation, the generation above parents, uh, your generation thinking of Titus 2 and multiple of the other texts, but just taking Titus 2 for a moment, uh, wise being keepers at home. Um, you know, I, I want my wife. Uh, I, that's not to say that a wife cannot work out of the home in any capacity at all, but especially we go through stages of life, especially when you have young children, um, being able for, for the mother to be there, at least as her primary vocation in the home with the children, um, is something that I believe is absolutely biblical. And, uh, and if, if you don't do that, um, for whatever reason, and you, you know, you, you it, it, it's just, you don't want to not do that because you just can't afford to do that. And so that was a conversation for me and my wife. It's like, you know, we, we had our third child just a couple weeks before we moved um, out of Southern California to Texas. And it was like, yeah, we want mom to stay home with the kids. Mom was having to work. She was full-time at first. Then she was half-time. By the time we left uh, California, she was uh, working half-time as an RN, as a nurse. And now she's out of work entirely. Um, and we've only been here just a little over two years, two and a half years. Um, but there was no way that she wasn't going to be able uh, to, you know, to stay home full time. She was going to have to work next generation. So parents, your wife, that's your generation, generation below you, uh, the kids, fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, do not exasperate your children, but train them up in the fear and uh, nurture of the Lord. Um, and so Fathers are responsible for uh, both spiritual and physical protection and provision. On the provision side, um, that provision is not just food and clothing and shelter, but it also includes a distinctly Christian education. We cannot hand our children over to Caesar, as Vodibachum would say, and be surprised when they come back as Romans. Again, there's a, a financial implication to that. What that means is I'm going to pay for two schools. I'm going to pay for the state school through my taxes that I'm not going to use. And then I'm going to be paying a, an expensive tuition in most cases to send my kids to a private classical Christian school or C point A, you know, going back to the wives keepers at home, um, they're going to be homeschooled. Uh, but that means uh, even more so that solidifies that I cannot depend on my wife for a second income. I'm going to be the sole provider that has financial implications. And then the fourth and final generation would be your children's children. A good man or a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children, ch children's children. That inheritance can be nothing less than a gospel, spiritual, uh, Christian worldview inheritance. But I would eat my hat if it's not more. I think that uh, the, the, <laughs> the spirit of God inspiring the human author is thinking, yeah, spiritual inheritance, the gospel, and also um, your grandkids. I think that a good man is is planning for the financial, not just spiritual, but financial well-being of his grandchildren. 
He has them in mind, whether it's starting a business that could be passed down through generations of the family or some kind of a material inheritance for the children, but then also for the grandkids that they're going to get something too. So when you take those four things and then the fifth commandment is um, being generous to the local church. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay the, the taxes to Caesar and, and those taxes are going to be more or less depending where I choose to live. Then I'm also going to be giving to the local church and aspiring towards a tithe, in my opinion. Um, and then I'm going to be working to be a single income family and not rely on my wife so she can be a keeper at home because we also want to seek to be fruitful and multiply. And we're not going to just forego childbearing because of practical reasons and this and that. So we want to have kids. We're not putting a number on it. We're not legalistic, but when in doubt, blessed is the man whose quiver is foot. We want to have kids. We'd like to have several kids. I'd like my uh, those kids to have their mom with them and not be raised by someone else. We're certainly not going to send them to a public school. So mom's going to be doing homeschooling. There's no way she can work, or we're going to be paying, you know, thousands of dollars for them to go to another school. Also, when mom and dad need our help, when they age, uh, we're going to teach our kids uh, what it looks like to honor father and mother. And we're not going to send them to the glue factory, but we're going to have them in our home. We're going to care for them as they're dying. Uh, and I'm going to have something, some kind of plan and, and something material to give to uh, my children's children. And we're going to tithe to the church after paying tax. Well, when, when you get down with all that, um, it's like, yeah, you can't, you can't live in California. You can't. I mean, some people can't. Sure. Doctors, lawyers. I, I can't. You know, it, it, it's really helpful that you started here, Joel. Um, I'm going to segue to a question and, 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 and qualify this. So I, much of what you're talking about, um, we've been a homeschooling family for over 10 years now. And the homeschooling movement, you know, of course, you mentioned Vody Bauckham. Vody's been a great thinker on so many different levels. And one of the levels has been on, on, on the family. Um, the homeschooling movement, and I would say a grass move, a grassroots movement among Christian parents, seems to get all of this rich foundation um, of God's commands for the family. Right. And so, th here's two questions for you. I have found that one of the biggest obstacles to training healthy families is their pastor. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm on the, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on the, uh, the board for the Ontario Christian home educators connection, you know, a, a, an organization that represents about 3000 homeschooling families across the province of Ontario. And, you know, we hold conferences every year. And I remember the first time I showed up as a, at a conference, everybody at the conference almost fell off their chair that a pastor would show up. And then the next year I had been won by their thinking and they really fell off their chair because a pastor is now homeschooling. And so um, we know that this rich theology of the family usually garnishes about two responses. The first response we kind of categorically hear from, from pastors is this is some type of idolatry of the family. Yeah. Or um, legalism. Yeah. And then the next response we hear, which might be a little bit softer, is just a, a lack of willingness to engage with this type of material or the very practical decisions that you're talking about. Because, you know, I'll just share anecdotally, one of the reasons why we moved to Kentucky was because during the pandemic, a number of very key churches got together and started meeting and saying, where should we all go? And one of the requirements for movement was we need to go to a place where we could all sell our homes today, go to a place where we could live debt-free and have mm -hmm. money in the bank. That, that yeah. would be an ideal setting. The, the, you know, the younger families in our church would be able to enter into the housing market. The more mature families in the, or the aged families in the church are going to be able to move into a place and they're going to be able to have both fr uh, freeness from debt and they're going to have equity to, uh, to invest. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why Kentucky, when we as a family finally decided this is where we're going to go, Kentucky was a really uh, advantageous place for us. It's only about eight right. hours away from from um, our original location, and it has those two things. This all to say, those are very th those are all very family oriented, very practical reasons you've given, very biblical reasons that you've given. Is the book reaching pastors? Are you finding that your number one pushback is from pastors right now? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, but 
to be fair, it, my answer is yes to both of those questions. It's reaching pastors, and my number one pushback is pastors. So uh, it just depends on which pastor. I would say, you know, about half of the pastors, um, they're like, man, we really appreciate this. Um, and then, you know, half of the pastors don't. And uh, and it all depends on, at the end of the day, you might think, well, the you know, the determining factor is just going to be, you know, the pastors and, you know, in New York, they're not going to like it, and the pastor in Kentucky is. But it's actually not. Um, there are guys who live in blue places, um, who are pastors in blue places, but they see the writing on the wall, just like you were a pastor in Canada. And they're able to read it and appreciate it and say, yep, yeah, uh-huh. And a lot of families are probably going to leave my church and I'm and I'm not going to hold them back from doing that. I'm not going to do, uh, I'm not going to bust a king's soul, right? I'm not going to, um, you know, that was the whole thing. Samuel was, uh, that, that obedience is better than sacrifice because it's it's all in the name of mission. Right? That's that's what evangelicalism has done over the last you know decades is um, uh, global missions. What was the cost? Well, all of our kids grew up and went apostate. That price we're willing to pay. Right? We reached the kids in Uganda. We lost our own, but we you know we reached it. So we we used the public school and we did this and we did and we and we kept telling ourselves you know assuaging our consciences by saying it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We can afford to. Uh, to sacrifice for missions, missions, America last, right? And America evangelicalism last every, you know, if it's your kids, they're last, right? The neighbor's kids, those are the ones that we want. Um, our kids, they can die and go to hell. Like that's, and, and I know that's strong and I'm not saying it was conscious. I'm not saying people knew that and chose it, but that is the implication of the decisions of evangelical missions minded ministry for decades and i'm sick of it and I, and so the the reason i wrote the book was to say stop that stop it um you some guys a missionary is a legitimate biblical category i'm never going to deny that god does call some people to go to dark places and it's costly and it hurts and that's why i open up you know one of the chapters with the gospel sacrifice versus sinful sacrifice gospel sacrifice is a real thing it's a real category and god calls people to it and we should get behind them those of us who are not called to it who live in some some place like texas or kentucky and part of the resources and the equity and the things that we have uh, we should put behind them and my whole thing is i'm just saying the way the way that we have thought the last few years about a place like the sudan it might be the way that we need to at least begin thinking about a place like Manhattan. We want to tell the average Christian, right? So, so think, think of it like this, shepherd and missionary, all right? There, there are capital S shepherds, right? There's the chief shepherd, that's Christ alone. But there are under shepherds, capital S shepherds, aka pastors. Um, well, it's true. When, when I tell the men in my church, all of you are pastors in your home. All of you are shepherds in your home. But we understand, we have categories. We can think like this. We understand that every man, every husband and father is a shepherd of sorts. He is a, he is a resident theologian, a resident pastor of his home. But not every man is qualified and called to be a pastor in the ecclesiastical formal church. Well, likewise, can we say, well, every Christian, if this is some of the pushback that I get, people say, well, if you don't recognize that every Christian is called to be a missionary, then, you know, then I don't even know where to start with this. Like, <laughs> Come on, come, come on. Uh, yeah, every Christian is a missionary, but not every Christian is a missionary, capital M, proper missionary. In the same way, we would not have 15 years ago said every Christian is qualified and should go to the Sudan as a missionary. No, you could get chewed up and, and spit out. Uh, like, no way. Well, in the same way, I think we need to begin, at least that's all I'm trying to do in this book, is begin the conversation of the same way we've thought about the Sudan with missionaries. We're going to have to start thinking about places like Canada, California, and New York. We're going to have to start thinking, we still need missionaries here. They still need our support there. Uh, but for the average Christian who is a lowercase missionary in the sense that we're all doing the work of an evangelist wherever we are, wherever the Lord in his providence has placed us, we're not all going to be formal missionaries in a hostile, negative world, to use Aaron Wren's kind of category. And the negative world now exists in the West just as much as it does other places. We need to think like that. It's not crazy. So the pastors who agree with me are not just pastors living in red states. They're just, they're pastors who see the writing on the wall and they get it. The pastors who disagree with me are the pastors who still think, um, they, they, there's still the, the, the type of pastor who, who still thinks that, um, the family is an idol that gets in the way of missions and that missions is, uh, 
global missions and international, you know, national missions, domestic missions, that that's, uh, that that is more important than, than wives and children and grandchildren. Hey friends, I'm happy to talk to you again about Rocklink Investment Partners. With inflation at 40 year highs and economic stagflation on the horizon, growing and preserving your hard earned capital is of utmost importance. I know it's on my mind. And that's why Rocklink Investment Partners are so essential because they understand the investment challenges of today. Rocklink is an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of high quality businesses anchored to the time tested principles of value investing. And they do not shy away from essential businesses that do not meet the world economics forms dis- definition of ESG. So email rocklink at info at rocklink.com. That's rocklink with a C or visit them at www w.rocklink.com. And again, that's link with a C. I'm going to suggest it's not quite that honest. And what I mean by that is the one thing I've seen across evangelicalism is this, this deeply rooted pragmatism and, and, and institutional decay where we like to platform and elevate those who, who will give themselves to the building of the institution church. And so we have a very ecclesiological centric mentality. Pastors are all about the official inside program of the, the, within the walls of the church. And then you go, oh, well, Hey, what about, what about being missional or what about being a missionary? They go, Oh yeah, that, that, that's great. But when you say, how do we do that? They have no idea. And you go, well, one place we could start with is evangelizing the children of our church. So how would we do that? And what right. does scripture say about that? And you know, the other thing we could do is we could uh, strengthen the men of our church who go out every single day into the real world and operate. And we can help them think wisely through how do you not live a, a debt-strapped life um, so that you are completely zapped of all energy to do anything else because you're constantly worrying about the bill. Like, like it's, it's, I don't, I, I agree with you that the mantra is missions, but I actually think that the fundamental flaw is an ecclesi, uh, clergy economics that is undergirded by pragmatism which means most pastors don't want to just look at an honest description of the church and of the family and of the different roles and of even how evangelism is done. Because it's interesting, Joel, you said we got to think of New York like Sudan. And that's very true. Like my wife and I were missionaries in Mozambique for a short time until our second child was diagnosed with cancer. So we were there for over a year, but we had fundraised to go for 15 years. We were, we were, we were really invested in Mozambique. Do you know what we thought about in Mozambique all the time as missionaries? You thought about education. You thought about strengthening the, 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 the family. You thought about as you were training and, and, and ministering to pastors going out, you were dealing with all of this um, systemic sin that tribalism that tribalism was causing, you know, like we, we had, we had guys who would come to us and say, Hey, I've been, you know, I want to be a pastor and I've been living with my girlfriend now for three years. And the reason why I, I do that is because I can't afford the bride payment. And, Hmm. and they were unwilling to overcome that African cultural norm to obey God's word. And, And you, you had to work them through that very practical marriage issue. So I agree with you that, that the, that the, the vocabulary is around missions and being on mission and whatever is, but the real issue is that pastors can measure and they can celebrate what they deem as missions and they can't celebrate and measure as a part of their success, what an average father and what a home is producing on the home's level in and of itself. Like a pastor really can't turn around and brag about all the amazing homeschooling families whose children are walking up with a robust Christian worldview. Uh, they get to, they get to celebrate it if they're wise men, right. but they don't get to brag about it themselves. Right. Right. I, I brag on it, I, not on myself, but I absolutely, you're, but you're absolutely right. You have to change what, you know, it's what you value. You're going to get more of what you value. 
And uh, but that's that's what I'm so excited about. By God's grace, the church that's being planted here in Georgetown, Texas, is that you know that that's those you're in Georgetown, Texas. Georgetown, Texas. Uh huh. I'm yeah. in Georgetown, Kentucky. I, I know that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but but that's that's what we're looking at. We're looking at how many um how many men are married and how many kids and how many you know are homeschooling and. Um, and then how many, like the guys like we have a once a month, you know, um, men's night where we get together and we, we spend time together and there's no book study. There's no Bible study, you know, not, not in any formal capacity. Uh, but primarily what we talk about is we talk about theology, politics, and economics. And the, and the main thing that we talk about is businesses. We talk, you know, this guy's starting this business and we're just picking each other's brains and ideas and this and that, and how, you know, how we can support each other, you know, and, and, but that's the big idea is that like, but you can't. A church with, you know, 150 people where every man is self-employed and owns his own business. And, and each of those families has four, five, six, seven, eight, nine kids, you know, and not one of those families is using the public school system and none of them are in debt, right? That, that, that's a juggernaut. That is a force to be reckoned with. That could change, that could change, you know, an entire city. Um, but, but that's, it's, that hasn't been the metric. That hasn't been the way that we've measured. Instead, we measure it as, um, we would rather have. Uh, 10,000 people in our church, every single one of them is in debt. Um, most of them have uh, foregone having kids because they think that the Great Commission actually uh, supplanted and replaced the cultural mandate. So we're not having kids, but we're, you know, we're, we're making disciples, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're doing, you know, discipleship and evangelism, you know, and, and so you got, you know, a thousand people, right? How many programs are we running? How much, you know, and then how much are we giving to someone somewhere out there? You know, like, and, and that's, um, so my point is, you know, everything you're saying, I completely agree with, but to be fair, you know, one, one of the pushback that I'll get is they would say that, uh, the problem with the book and what you and I are saying is that, um, that we're too pragmatic. Uh, you're focusing too much brother on, um, you know, cause part of the book, I address, uh, politics and I say, it's not just important how you vote, but it's also important where you vote. Right, like when you think about, you know, at the electoral college level for the United States in 2020, uh, ultimately, you know, Trump only lost by about uh, less than 75,000, not millions, but 75,000 votes. He lost 10 million allegedly, uh, lost 10 million at the popular vote. But but in terms of the electoral college, there were out of seven different, you know, popular swing states that went for Biden. If only four of them had gone for Trump and those four would have only uh, required 75,000 individual votes respectively spread across those four states uh, and Trump would be the president. And you we talk about loving our neighbor and, and I'm not saying Trump is even a Christian. I, I don't know. But but my point, I, and I'm inclined just for the record to say that he's probably not regenerate. Um, but, but in terms of loving our neighbor, actually loving our neighbor. And, and the Bible tells us what loving, it's not just wishing them well and warm and, 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 uh, but it's feeding them. It's clothing them. It's that love for neighbor is caring about their highest eternal good, sharing the gospel with them, doing the work of an evangelist, discipling, but it's also caring for their tangible earthly needs. And if Trump was president instead of Biden, how many neighbors wouldn't have lost their businesses? How many neighbors, uh, wouldn't have suddenly fallen over? How many neighbors, you know, at the 13 service member neighbors in Afghanistan might still be alive. And like, and we we can go on and on and on and on. Our neighbor would be better loved. That's again, that doesn't mean Trump is going to be uh, an elder in my church anytime soon, but our neighbors would be better loved. And so here's the deal. Like my, I, I include those kind of things. I say, you know, so 75,000 votes spread across these four states, 6 million votes for Trump in California. And was it close? Nope. 12 million for Biden, 6 million votes for Trump, me being one of them, because we moved after the election, December, 2020, 6 million votes for Trump flush down the toilet. And, and so from a voting perspective, from a, a legislation, from and then of course, I wanted to start where I started for a reason, because that's even more important as fathers and husbands, looking at our parents, looking at our wives, our children, our children's children, generosity to church for all these. But the thing is, you know, that's part of the objection that I'll get is just, well, that's all pragmatic. And, and so my point is, that's why I think that's part of the reason why things have gotten as bad as they've gotten is because we're so pietistic. The only thing that matters is not just missions, but to put it an, another framework, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's preaching. It's 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 belief. It's theology. But it's but there's no actual practice. That's why I started the podcast that I started. There's nothing novel. But today, sadly, it it appears to many people as novel. Theology applied. Wow. What what an idea. You know. But like. There's not a lot of guys doing that right now. Theology applied. 
it's interesting. You know, one of the things that has always attracted me to the ministry of the Ezra Institute, um, one of the places where I'm a fellow, um, was, was the way that Joe would articulate systematic unbelief met by systematic belief. And again, the reason why I think that it's a more, it's a more diabolical problem among the clergy. I've been, I've been critical of pastors for quite a while. Um, is when someone, when someone accuses you of being too practical, it's, it's because the, the matrix that they want to measure is an easier matrix to succeed in. So, that's right. so, Hey, is everybody in our church praying? Okay. Well, first of all, you can't really measure it. Second right. of all, but you can blow smoke until mm -hmm. Thursday afternoon on that issue. Now, look at, mm -hmm. I'm going to always call my church to be a more praying church. I'm going to regularly stand up in the pulpit and repent to say, I have to remind myself every single day to open up the, to, to not go into administrative mode, sermon prep mode, Twitter mode, uh, managing the business mode. I have to tell myself every single day to get up and open my day in scripture and open my day praying to the Lord. Um, the spiritual, the spiritual disciplines are real things, but the yes. reason why pastors love to stay there is because they just don't have the stones or the willingness to say that's not enough to measure a man by when we're looking yeah. at the, when we're looking at the qualifications for an elder, the management of his home is one of the most important parts of that equation. And the management of a man's home includes all of these things like the workplace, like economics, like yeah. disciplining and educating your children. It's really easy to say, I know, but he came to prayer meeting and man, we're going through this, like we're going through this bro study and it's like the best study ever. And mm -hmm. yeah, like rather than going, no, that man is failing. His whole house mm -hmm. is falling apart and nobody's right. gone to him and pushed him because you're so busy off with your bro studies or, or whatever right. you're promoting inside the church. So I'm right. really thankful for a lot of the ways that you're articulating this because we de need to match systematic unbelief with yeah. a systematic, an applied belief, right? You know, right. this whole gospel-centered movement is just garbage. The yeah. gospel is the, the the entrance into the kingdom. It's our salvation. But the ethical and biblical applications of God's word go hand in hand with, with, with all of those commands. It, it's never an right. either nor. Okay, Joel, I want to transition to ask you a question. And the question would be, you know, in the, the subtitle of the book talks about it. It's the best way to love a, a to, to leave is to, is the best way to love a godless place. And so one of right. the things that happened for us, um, uh, in my journey, there was a number of times where I felt like we had to leave a place and, uh, we came across a Samaritan opposition, um, in, in, uh, in, in, um, in the scriptures, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus uh, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead and they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But hmm. Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. I, I, that, that was the sermon that I preached um, on the first Sunday that our church was kicked out of our church building, hmm. um, by three or four men, um, the whole church was united in following the Lord. And there were three or four men who, uh, decided that the church was no longer allowed to use that building. And were those three or four men, men in your church? They were yeah, in unfortunately church? they were, they were my previous elders board, uh, uh, wow. at, at a church up in Canada. It was, it was a really trying time. And, and to be honest wow. with you, I, I have tried, uh, very hard for us to just let their leadership decision be what it will be. God will deal with them and, and whatnot. But I preached this because we were mourning 
not being able to reach them. We were mourning not being able to, you know, as, as you've probably seen in many respects, you're mourning for uh, California. You're, you're, you're mourning for the place that you're leaving. And some people want to respond in anger and say, well, then God destroy it. Uh, other people want to turn around and go back. And the text just says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Don't call judgment down. And just, they went to another village. So uh, I don't know if the book addresses it, but how do you address the leaving side and potentially the accusation of, which we hear quite regularly, well, if you leave the public school system, if you leave this, if you leave that, then it will, you know, then it will implode. Um, I see from this example that I'm not to leave with a, with a callous, angry heart and hoping for God's punishment to be upon those people. Right. But still, the permission to just leave and move on and get to work somewhere else. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Fleeing is a legitimate biblical category. You are allowed to leave. And in some cases, you must. In some cases, you must. Especially, like I started with, if, um, if relocating would allow you to meet some of these clear biblical commands for fathers and husbands and staying uh, would make it impossible. If it's if it comes down to that, um, I could obey Jesus' commands to provide for my my family, um, but I cannot if I stay and I'm able to go. I'm not stuck, right? Um, then I think you have not only are is it permissible for you to leave, but at that point you have a moral obligation to do so. So leaving is is legit, but how should you leave? That's that's what you're getting at. Well, the the last and you know final chapter of the book is don't be a bitter prophet. And I basically just do a brief exegesis from, you know, the book of Jonah and talk about how uh, Jonah went, you know, he, he wasn't hoping that Nineveh would repent. He was hoping that Nineveh would be hardened in their sin uh, so that they would be destroyed by God. And he specifically says, you know, we sometimes think of the Jonah story as uh, Jonah was afraid. You know, he went to Tarshish instead, the opposite direction. He was afraid to go to Nineveh because um, he was afraid that the Ninevites would uh, would reject his prophecy, his message from the Lord, and instead kill him. That's not what the book says. Jonah literally tells God in prayer. He says, you know, uh, towards the end of this, you know, small four chapter book, he says, "Is this not why I made haste to go to Tarshish? Is this not what I told you, uh, God?" He says, um, "I knew, I knew, God, because I know your character. I knew you were a sucker for repentance." I knew, so he wasn't afraid that he would go to Nineveh and that the Ninevites would reject his message and kill him. He was afraid he would go to Nineveh and that God was sending him to Nineveh precisely because the Ninevites would accept his message and then God wouldn't kill them. So he wasn't afraid of being killed by the Ninevites. He was afraid of the Ninevites not being killed by God. He wanted them dead. And that's because Nineveh was a capital city uh, in Assyria. Assyria was at war with Israel and they were ramping up. This was prophesied previously by Isaiah. They were ramping up their pre-invasion attacks to the northern kingdom of Israel where Jonah lived. And, And so it's very likely that Jonah had friends, maybe even family members who had been taken captive by these barbaric Ninevites. Uh, They had, had, uh, archaeologists have found uh, that they would fillet their victims and put the skins of, the, of their victims, fillet them alive on their walls. And, and specifically, the king of Nineveh, that's one of the things he repents of. He says, let everyone turn from their wicked ways and the violence that is in his hand. So that, that gives you the backdrop. But I use Jonah as an example at the very end of the book, a whole chapter dedicated to it, saying that when you leave, when you get out of Dodge, if you are Lot and you get out of Sodom, it's a little bit different because Jonah would be the missionary going there, regretfully, but going there. In this case, we, we have you know a little bit more in common with like Lot leaving Sodom. But but either way, if you're if you're like Jonah, standing on a hillside watching Nineveh from a distance, or if you're like Lot, you know you, you've gotten out of Dodge, you shouldn't be rooting for the fire and brimstone. But the goal is that they would repent. And, and then I tie that in other places w- of the book with, you know, um, the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal son, is, it's, it's profound, but there's a, a portion in this parable that Jesus tells where uh, it says he's in a far off distant land. There's a famine that comes over the land and he, he's, you know, he picks up a, a, a deadbeat job feeding pigs, you know, and he's longing to eat the, you know, the paws that are being given to the, the pigs as food. And it says, um, and no one gave him anything. The very next word says, and he came to his senses and, and says, well, the servants, like the lowest totem on the totem pole in my father's house have it better than I do. And he begins to practice his repentance, you know, going all the way home to go back to the father. And, but, but it's, it's, it's important to see um, no one would give him anything. 
he came to his senses. So part of the loving godless places, not just leaving, but uh, leaving godless places is not just going to love other people somewhere else or loving your own family that's leaving with you, your wife and children and grandchildren, uh, but actually loving the place that you're leaving, even the wicked, unregenerate pagans that you're leaving. Part of part of that is this prodigal son paradigm. Um, one of the ways to love Gavin Newsom is to not give him anything. He's never going to come to his senses if we keep giving him something. And here's the thing. This is the conversation Christians don't want to have, and they get angry when I have it, but I'll, I'll have it, and I'll have it carefully. You have to do an honest assessment. If you are a Christian living in one of these deeply progressive places, whether it be in the U.S. or in the U.K. or in Canada or whatever it may be, um, are you fighting, right? You're a Christian. You're faithful. You're not transing kids. You're not, you're not you know, killing babies. But still, you're there to fight, and I get it, and God bless you. But you do need to act, ask yourself at a, at a practical level in terms of, of tactics of warfare, strategy, the art of war, um, are you fighting more, your presence there, does your presence give more to fighting or funding? Because your mere presence by being there, you have to fund. So the question is, are you out punching in your the fighting category, your funding? And so if you're a Christian in California, but you're, you're a nominal Christian and you're not that involved in your local church and you're, and you're not doing this and you're not doing that. Um, you're, you're utilizing the public schools with your kids. So you're, you're not raising up this next generation or you're foregoing having children entirely. You're, and, and you're not doing that much evangelism. But at the end of the day, you're paying this much in state taxes and part of those state taxes go to Planned Parenthood for this many. But you can, you can actually evaluate at the end of the year. You can look and say, how many babies did I fund their murder? Okay, that's the funding category. Now on the fighting category, how many people did I lead to the Lord? How, what am I doing with my wife? What am I doing with my kids? And if your funding, if your presence lends towards more funding than fighting, then get out, get out. And so all that being said, my point is loving to your question, how do we love the place that we leave? Uh, one of the ways that we love that place is we tell the tyrants that have made that place a, a, a hellhole, a place that's impossible to live. You're telling Justin Trudeau, hey, it's time for you to eat some pig food because no one's going to give you anything and you're going to have to come to your senses. And if you want to ride this train again, you're going to have to go back to the father and repent. And one of the ways we, we do that is we vote with our feet. We vote with our dollars. We, and that is a very loving thing to do. And, and to Satan in the opposite sense, one of the least loving things for the prodigal son in that moment of his life would have been if one of the servants or, or his older brother or another member of the father's house had in, in, with, with good intentions, right? They, oh, I'm just trying to be helpful. I'm trying to be empathetic. If they had gone to that distant land, found the prodigal son and given him a handout. Because what would have happened is he would have just thrown some more parties and stayed even longer, you know, and, and, you know, what he needed was to not be given anything so that he would come to his senses so that he would repent. And, and so what my prayer for California is that more Christians would follow my lead. Those who are equipped to do so would stay and minister on the ground in the meantime, but that everyone else would get out of Dodge, not so that the fire and brimstone comes, but so that the wicked in California would finally have to lay in their own bed that they've been making, finally have to eat a spoonful of their own medicine, no longer propped up by by the salt of the earth and they finally that god would use that for them to to come to their senses and see oh play stupid games win stupid prizes oh rebel against god and murder kids and chop off body parts and then it, it leads towards this and and they'd say well maybe the christian view maybe the gospel of jesus christ is a better option and that they would come to know the savior and then my grandchildren they can move back in because i'm not going to give them the west coast forever it's ours it's just a matter of, of when not if my grandkids will move back in and live with those reformed pagans and california will be a bastion of conservative christian theology to the glory of christ forever that's that's the goal and and so it's not we're leaving it forever and it's not we're leaving it for these people to be destroyed and go to hell it's for these people to taste their own medicine so that they might repent it's a really powerful point and i appreciate it especially coming from that parable because of course, so, so many of us, I, you know, I, I have a, I have a prodigal son journey of repentance, grew up in a great Christian home, ate the poison of sin passionately for a time, um, wrestled with my own salvation, uh, in, in the sense of never desiring to 
to flee from Christ, but certainly doing that on a, on a, on a regular practical basis because of the love for sin and coming to my own end and right. being confronted with trust Christ or die, like <laughs> trust Christ or continue to fall apart. Uh, decay leads to death. It's interesting. Um, there's a few parallels here. Uh, number one, we talk a lot about this in the family integrated movement. We talk a lot about this when it comes down to uh, discipling children. Like, don't do for parents what parents ought to do for their own children. Mm -hmm. Don't give a security blanket to parents um, who are failing. The, the 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 most loving thing you can do is expose and you know shed light on the sin remove the security blanket and place the right person who is responsible for that act uh at the center of of, of the action um we think about this you know with welfare in all of the examples you've given this is a very true point that people have to learn and not be enabled. Um, I'm I'm trying to look up the proverb, uh, you know, the one proverb that says answers of answer a fool for his folly, and the other proverb that says don't answer a fool for his folly. Like there's a moment right. where you just let a fool be fool, and and sometimes that's a the consequences for that are very minimal. You know, your you know your 17 year old kid doesn't want to take a shot from the slot, and uh, you yell at him and say, take a shot from the slot. And he refuses to do it. And so for the next three games, he doesn't score. Okay. And until he figures out he's got to take that good coaching advice. Sometimes that's, that's a pretty severe consequence. Like, you know, uh, it, somebody might take their own life. Somebody might, like you said, all of these things, they might, they might transition to be a, try to transition to be the opposite sex. And, and, and yet, that that moment of repentance comes when we realize when we agree with God that we're sinners, not when we are enabled and not when we right. are massaged and comforted. Right. Um, so often our Christian counseling right in this moment where someone says, I am a terrible father, the, the, the habitual pastoral, the habitual counseling motif or our, our instant our instant moment uh, or our instant response wants to be, no, no, you're not that bad. When, wait a minute, the, the person just told you what, what they're processing and what, you know, let them share, let, let them admit where they're failing so that you can see for yourself what's really going on. Uh, so that's a really powerful point, Joel. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think more people need to think that long-term when you're talking about, you know, loving a nation on the whole point of not being bitter. Um, I do just want to say, I'm thankful for that reminder as well, because it's a hard journey. So someone who's mm -hmm. done it, I don't know for yourself now that you've done it, but for me, I, I have a hard time sometimes as the president of Liberty Coalition Canada, who has moved to the U S to partner with American brothers and sisters here to help raise awareness of what's going on in Canada and, and, and also to, you know, to, to build support for what is needed. You know, the, the church in Canada needs support from our American brothers and sisters. Sometimes I just wake up and go, man, I hate Canada. Like I just, <laughs> I just wish the whole place would just burn to the ground and people mm. would flee. And so it is a good reminder not to be a bitter prophet because I think that that's a real possibility. And, and we want to call down the fire from heaven the way that, you know, the, the disciples felt rejected. And so they want, they had this overreaction. Actually, I remember living, we were living in Boston at the time when 9-11 occurred. And uh, I remember the, we were attending Park Street Church, downtown Boston. So of course the two of the planes had taken off from Logan airport. And I, mm -hmm. I remember the sermon on the Sunday after the sermon was why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a, is, it was a careful correction of the heart that wants to go after personal vengeance beyond, uh, beyond, uh, justice and, 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 justice. and, and, and beyond, um, anything that yeah, we, I was going to say, as soon as you said that, I was like, you got to be careful with that because, uh, you got to be careful with the heart, but at the, at the same time, um, yeah, 
the, the oh, people no, no. who yeah. we're, we're, know, we're, we're, we believe in sphere sovereignty. We 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we, we yeah. want a we want a proper governmental response. We want a proper right. judicial response to the situation. But uh, it, it was it, it's a warning of that bitterness. It's a warning right. of of um, extending that bitterness. You know, I I have a I have a frustration with the Prime Minister of Canada, so I'm going to extend that biz, bitterness to the entire nation. Right. Um. And so it's you know it's a good rebuke as we think about that um for someone who might be considering going out and buying the book or engaging in these topics uh do you want to talk you've touched on the on moving for political reasons uh in the sense of loving your neighbor and and making your vote go farther is there anything else you want to specifically cover before we wrap things up yeah i appreciate it um let me think no, not really. I, I feel like we, we covered most of it. Um, I just want to reiterate again, um, because that's part of the, the pushback and criticism that I'm getting is I, the book. I'm, I'm very careful and I give plenty of caveats, but just, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk on a show and I can't give every caveat and then they'll be like, Hey, you, you know, ha, I got you, you know, but, uh, just reminding the listener that, um, missionaries going to deep, dark, you know, progressive pagan places, is a legitimate biblical category, uh, 100%. And God calls some people to go there. And for those who are actually qualified and equipped to go there, those of us who don't, that should be part of what we uh, give our blood, sweat, and tears to support. Those people need our help. They need our support. Um, but again, what I'm advocating for is I'm saying that there's 16 million professing Christians in uh, the state of California. And uh, I'm just trying to call a spade a spade and say, I don't think all 16 million of them are missionaries. Uh, by meeting the biblical criteria. So in terms of uh, buying the book, uh, you could go to Amazon or you can go to rightresponseministries.com. Uh, uh, it's cheaper on our website, about three bucks cheaper. Um, and then also it's going to pop up, I think next week on, uh, if, you, if you're if you a subscriber with Canon Plus, uh, I just got done recording the audio version and uh, Canon is going to uh, host it on their app. So if you have the Canon Plus app, you'll be able to do a, a listening version as well. That's fantastic. It's that's super important for guys who are driving and commuting and, and families <laughs> yeah. that are commuting. I know I know that's one of the benefits of a podcast. I, I hear I hear families tell me all the time, hey, we jump in the car and if we've got an hour to drive, we we uh strike up open mic and see what kind of yeah. crazy infernal things uh Tyson will come up with this week. So um <laughs> I want to jump in on that missionary thing just one more time. I appreciate you bringing it up. Um f- People confuse um, frontline evangelism for how God um, so works through His people wherever they go. Like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like it is good if someone, you know, my wife and I woke up one day and God had been working on our heart for six months and said, you know, we'd visited Mozambique in the past, and out of the blue we both really felt a pull and tug to get up take our two children that we had at the time. And, you know, we have four now and, and, um, and, and moved to Africa and, uh, we did. And never would I have felt that that was either more or less. I was still responsible for my family in Africa. I was still responsible right. for all of the same biblical commands. And so the evangelist, you know, wherever you're going, you know, your if your strategy if your strategy is first of all uh, fulfilling your requirements for the responsibilities God has before you, right. you're going to be used wherever you go. Mm-hmm. And um, so, sure, people are people are going to be called to stay, and people are going to be called to flee. I, I, you know, interesting. Luther had a really great. Um, perspective on this, uh, you know, during the bubonic plague, where he ta- right. talk, talked about pe- some people leaving and some people staying, and then he ended up staying until he got sick and then leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just very important that what we're not doing is a bait and switch. I, I think that's what you're trying to get at. I think I think what you're trying to get at is being called to be a missionary is not a bait and switch that trumps being a father. So if I'm called to be a missionary, I don't get to say to God, but, but we went to Africa and none of my kids walk with the Lord, right. uh, but we went to Africa. No, mm-hmm. no, you go to Africa and you still father your family. You still, you still uh, uh, 
be, become a part of a local church, you, you, you still have a political will. You still have a political involvement. Mm -hmm. These things don't change. And so whether people are called to go or called to stay, I, I think the one thing I'm taking away from this podcast, uh, today talking with you, Joel, is just this again, reminder of be responsible to the areas that God has creationally placed you. If you're a, if you're a husband and a father, you're responsible there. If you're a, a son or a daughter, you're responsible there. Right. And you can be on mission the entire time. Share Jesus everywhere you go. Of course, mm -hmm. it's not an either or, and nor is it some big straw man out there that gets you off the hook from being mm -hmm. a godly person with the things that are before you. So everybody, uh, thanks for listening. Joel, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Again, I want to remind you of our uh, two events coming up, October 23rd, October 24th in Ontario. We're going to be shooting a live Liberty Lounge. And then, of course, October 31st and November 1st, we're doing the Spark Leadership Conference in South Carolina. Um, if you want to support our podcasts, of course, go to our website, libertycoalitioncanada.com and click donate on the analysis box. And that allows um, your funds to go directly to Christian Week, who who produces our podcasts. And if you are listening to some of these uh, different shows and you're hearing about our legal cases and you want to support our legal case, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com, donate and click other designations where you'll get to pick which legal case you want to support. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, give us a five-star rating and share this video with everybody you know who needs to take their calling and their family seriously. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Joel. Thank you. God's...